Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. It's beautiful out, right? Our ending of summer has arrived, and it is fall here in Houston. Everyone loves it, except for those who love the heat, including my daughter, who's not here right now, but I know Ken Rogers, you love 90 degrees. So necessary endings occur, whether we want them to or not. And when necessary endings occur, they can either invite faith or they can lead you into despair, hopelessness, sadness. Today we're going to listen to a story where this man and this woman hadn't really heard the Lord's voice before. They didn't actually know what that was like to hear the Lord speak to them and lead them to something new. Whenever you go to something new, it normally means that you're going to have something end. And sometimes we're in control of that and sometimes we're not. In the story today, this has been many generations after the fall of the tower, or not the fall, but the ending of the building of the Tower of Babel, where the Lord said, I'm going to disperse the people into different languages. And so through the lineage of Shem, if you remember Shem, he's the son of Noah. So Noah did the ark, right? Everyone jumped in the boat. Really not everyone. Just Noah and his family jumped in the boat with all the animals. After the flood, there were three sons. Shem was one of them. And then many generations passed until we meet this guy named Terah. Terah then has a couple sons, maybe a few more, but we know of two for sure. Haran, not Aaron, Haran, and Abram. He decides to move from where they were dispersed to, to a land that he had heard about named Canaan. But on the way there, he stops because his son Haran had already died. And I'm not sure if this land was named Haran before he arrived there or if once they arrived there, he named it after his dead son. But along with him, he took his son Abram, Abram's wife Sarai, and his grandson Lot, or Abram's nephew Lot and his family, and they journeyed to this place that then became Haran, or was before. They never made it to Canaan. And so this is where the story begins. They've started life. They probably had lived here in this land, Haran, over 15 years, maybe more. They're doing things. They've accumulated wealth. They've been doing life. One thing that was missing from Abram and Sarai's life was children. They wanted to have children, but they didn't. So the image I got as I was looking at Scripture this week is they just were working hard. Abram just worked hard. He had had big livestock, huge ranch, had people working for him. Terah is now dead and gone. And then the story begins. Let's take a listen. Terah lived in a place called Ur. 
He had three sons and at least one daughter. One of the sons had a child named Lot. Another son was Abram, who married his half-sister Sarai. When Lot's father died, Terah took the entire family and moved north to a place called Haran. They stayed there until Terah died. When Abram was 75 years old, the Lord said, Abram, I want you to leave your family and country and go to a place I have selected for you. I'll make you into a nation and your name will be great. I'll bless you and I'll also bless everyone else who blesses you. And I'll curse anyone who curses you. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. So Abram took his wife, Sarai, and Lot, his nephew, and left Haran. When they came to a place called Canaan, God said, I'm giving this land to you and your children. Abram believed God, even though he didn't have any children. He knew God would keep his promise. So he built an altar in the new land God had given him and worshiped the Lord. Sometime later, a severe famine hit the land. So Abram took all he had and went to Egypt. He said to Sarai, the Egyptians will see you're a beautiful woman. They'll kill me in order to get you. So tell them you're my sister. He was right. The Egyptians saw that Sarai was beautiful. When Pharaoh found out that she wasn't married, he took her into his house. He treated Abram well, thinking the man was her brother. Abram became rich in Egypt. His wealth included sheep, cattle, donkeys, camels, and servants. God was angry with Pharaoh because he had Sarai in his house. Plagues hit his family, and everyone got seriously sick. Finally, Pharaoh said to Abram, Why did you do this to me? You said she was your sister. Now I find out she's your wife? Take her and get out of here. So Abram took his wife and Lot and went back to Canaan. They settled near a place called Bethel. There he worshiped the Lord. So we're in Genesis chapter 12. If you want to turn to that, that's the area of the story that we're going to be engaged in. It goes into chapter 13. There's a lot of information. In fact, in the introduction, you probably received a lot more information that you wanted. But to set up the story, sometimes you've got to go through the history. And so it starts with, the Lord said to Abram. And that's really what I kind of heard from the message that I'm going to give you this day. Is that when you're not used to hearing the Lord's voice, sometimes it's hard to do what he says. Leave your country, your native country, your relatives and your families, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. So necessary endings are not always easy. You agree? But they always occur. Agree? I mean, we all have necessary, almost every week, but I can almost say every day we have a necessary ending. Something has to end so that we can begin. 
Um, one of the things that we teach in our discipleship is a start-stop list. And the reason why we do a start-stop list is because when you hear something, and that's what we want you to do, attend to the voice of the Lord. You do that by looking at the Word of God. You do that through prayer. You do that through listening to God's people. Speak wisdom, prophetic words into your life. And when you hear him say, start something, it often means that you need to end probably a couple things, right? Because we only have so much time. So necessary endings are necessary for us to do what the Lord wants us to do. Necessary endings often invite you into faith for the future. I started out saying that it can either lead you into despair or it can lead you into faith. Sometimes when an ending is approaching, we can become full of worry or we can be filled with faith. Abram had already moved once with his father, Terah, to a new land, left people behind. And remember, the Tower of Babel, they all shared one common language. They all were a part of one thing. God dispersed them, and then they were in these different groups and became one thing. Their culture, their language, the language that they spoke was Hebrew. This is where Hebrew began. Or it was there before God dispersed and he made new languages. But we know Abram spoke Hebrew. So he either retained it or God gave it at that point. They shared this with all these people. They were close-knit because it was smaller than it was at the Tower of Babel. And I don't have figures or numbers of how many people were talking. But I just know that when it's something big and then it separates out to several smaller things, maybe you get to know those people a little bit better. So they've left this once. Now he's called to do it again. What Abram was leaving was not so much his provision, but his relationships. And that's hard. And I think many of us have probably experienced that as well. Leaving and to some degree leaving and not knowing where you were going. Maybe you've moved to a new place. How many of you have moved to a new place? You know, in Houston, this is pretty common. And so when you want to begin speaking words of grace, we have a, a whole huge pot here at Houston of people who know what it means to leave something behind and come to a new place with hope. Many people move here for a job hoping that their life could be better. Maybe they get transferred here. Many people look at Houston and they go, hey, I think I just read 127,000 jobs were created here last year alone. People leave and they come to our city. But you're fooling yourself if you think it's an easy move. 
when you uproot yourself from the relationships that support you, when you uproot yourself from the things that you know, it's a challenge. And this is where you can kind of step into Abram's story just a little bit. That this wasn't just, okay, so I'll just go to a new place. This was ripping everything he knew away and starting something new. The first time I heard this kind of call, not the same call as Abram. I'm not trying to say I'm at, in any realm in the same level as Abram or later known as Abraham. But the first time I kind of heard the Lord saying, Aaron, I want you to do something new was when I was in college. I went on this small little mission trip to Mexico. I really hadn't even planned on doing it. The only reason my motivations were totally wrong. It was supposed to go serve people, but I just wanted to go to a different country. I was from Nebraska. I was excited. I was in college. My parents couldn't say no. I mean, they could, but I could be like, I don't know. So I went on this spring break trip, and I went into this country, and I didn't know any Spanish. I didn't know any, anything. It was just exciting because I like to do new things. But what I found is that I was going there for leisure, but the Lord was going there with me to work on my heart. Before that, my idea of a future involved what kind of career I'd have, how much money I would make, that I would get married by 25. I had a whole plan. I was single at the time when I made that plan. Not a good idea to do that because the Lord works on you in different ways. But I was single, I was free, and I went to Mexico, and he worked on my heart and said, I want you to be a missionary. And I came back, and I told my parents, and my mom was like, no. And I told some friends, and they're like, oh, okay, you know. And then I said, well, I'm just going to figure this out. I, I think he really wants me to be a missionary. I, I'm hearing this call. And so it ended up that I had to go to an interview at the international office for the Lutheran Church in St. Louis. And I was sitting in this office with this guy named Oshoni. He's actually a, a Texas guy. But at that time, he was over the world missions of the LCMS. As I sat there, I was telling him what I thought I wanted to do. And he told me all the things I need to do in order to do it. I need to raise my own funds, all this kind of stuff, like everything that would say, I'm probably not going to do this. And then he said, and right now there's probably two choices for you, Vietnam or Venezuela. I probably should have known my geography better. I knew Vietnam was out in Asia somewhere. Venezuela, I actually did not know where it was. But I assumed it was closer. And so I went to a map and I looked and I was like, Oh, yeah, that's not too far. But it is on a different continent, and I would love to go to a different continent. And they only speak Spanish, so that's better than Vietnamese, because I probably can't do that, because you all know I have enough problem with English. So I went to Venezuela, or I signed up to do that. I said, I'll, I'll do Venezuela. And he said, well, you don't get to choose. We choose for you. You need to say, will you or will you not go? And I'm like, oh, all right. So I went back, 
college still going on, right? I'm trying to end things up, work this out with my college, make this an internship, all these things so that I can do what I think the Lord is asking me to do. And I tell my mom, I'm pretty sure I'm going on this. The cost is going to be $6,000. And at that time, it may not seem much to some of you, but at that time in my life, 6000 was like 600000 I was in college. I was not making any money. My prospects for a job, I was trained as an artist. So just know that I wasn't thinking I was going to make 6000 like that. I mean, I could dream that I'd just do a little painting and somebody would buy it, but they'd buy it for like six bucks, not 6000 And my mom said, well, I think that's, I said, well, let's put it in the Lord's hands. It was my first utterance, I believe, if I remember correctly, of faith. I'm going to just put this in the Lord's hands. If the 6000 isn't there, then I won't go because she did not want me to go. did not want me. Two weeks. And I found out that about three different churches had said, we'll make sure that you have 6,000 each year for two years so you can go. I was ready to like travel all around Nebraska to church after church to try to raise funds. And when I called my mom and said, it's already done, she could only respond in faith. Well, whatever the Lord wants. <laughs> Sometimes when we respond, the Lord answers. But the necessary ending was for me to kind of reassess how my life was going to go. And it meant that I had to not be in control. That I have to turn over some of the control to the Lord. Do you hear that? Some. But I believe two things. The Lord is with me. And that the Lord is going to bless me. Those were the two things that I believed as I embarked on this journey. I didn't know what I was getting into, but it actually was a huge, huge impact in my life. But when we say those things, the Lord is with me, and I know the Lord is going to bless me, I think sometimes as Christians, or those of us who have friends who are Christians, we hear things like this and they're trite sayings. I mean, I'm sure you all have heard, the Lord is with you. And you go, okay. The Lord will bless you. Actually, if you come to worship every Sunday, you hear these things. But I think we need to unpack that, because what does it actually mean, practically speaking? For me, it was that I have to believe that I'm not in control. That I believe that Jesus has better plans for me than I could ever plan for myself. That I believe that I don't need to fear because I am not alone. When I got on that plane to go to Venezuela, I absolutely believed that he was going with me. 
mean, there are times that I've sure felt alone, but then I'd be reminded that again, he has not left me alone. I believe that I have confidence in whatever decision because I know the Lord will work through it whether it's a bad decision or a good decision because His will does not depend on my decision making. Amen? Ooh, man, that's a good one to hold on to when you talk about the Lord is with you and I know He's going to bless me. My decisions... Do not change the will of the Lord. Now, does he want me to make good decisions? Absolutely. He doesn't want me to be stupid. He doesn't want me to be selfish. He doesn't want me to be self-centered. But I can make a self-centered decision like going to Mexico just because I want to go to another country for a mission trip. And he can still work through that. My motivations don't change his will. But when I'm in his will, whether my motivations are wrong or not, I start to see, oh my gosh, my motivations aren't good. I think he's calling me to be more like him. I think I can see some of my sin, which means I need a lot more Jesus. When I think about the Lord is with me and the Lord will bless me, I believe that I can stay focused on what is ahead instead of worrying about what happened yesterday or what will happen tomorrow. I can stand firm knowing He is with me. I believe I don't need to worry about how or what the Lord will bless me with. This is really important for you guys to hear because I, I've heard this in conversations. I just need to believe that he will. So when you have a necessary ending, I often hear a person's responses, ooh, but I don't know if it's going to be good. Like, I don't know if tomorrow's going to be good. But when you believe the Lord is with you and that he will bless you, then you don't have to worry about what that blessing is. Abraham could not see the land that the Lord was saying you're going to go to. Abraham could not see that they would have children. Abraham could not see how much he would love Isaac. Abraham could not see the future generations that would come from the Lord saying, I will bless you. He just believed that he would. As we live our lives, we sometimes forget that the Lord's going to do something. And when he does something, it's good. If the Lord is going to do something, it's going to be good. And does the Lord do something every day? Yes. Does he actually care about giving you something good? Yes, no matter what the ending is that occurs before it. No matter what the ending is that occurs before it. We sometimes walk around as defeated people of God rather than victorious people of God. 
Now, we can change this, and I don't want us to become people that go, oh, well, so pastor said he's going to bless me, so that means money. Or pastor said he's going to bless me, so that means I'm going to get married. Or pastor said he's going to bless me, so that means I'm going to have children. No. He's going to bless you. You just don't know what it's going to be. But it's going to be good. So Sarah and I have also experienced some of these necessary endings together. And as we experienced them, the very first one was as we got married. Now remember, I had planned to get married at 25. It didn't happen until I was 29. I didn't plan on meeting Sarah at seminary because I didn't even want to go to seminary. I didn't plan on going on a blind date with her and meeting her under the Luther statue. It is Reformation Day. <laughs> I did not plan these things. I was trying to chase after this girl who I met on an airplane who I thought was hot. And I won't go to the whole story. Some of you guys know that story. <laughs> but the moment we got married, it was the ending of the life that we knew that had centered in St. Louis. Sarah had moved there with her family in seventh grade. She developed this life. She became a teacher there. She served family after family there for five years as a second grade teacher. She got her master's in education while she was there. Her life was there. And then she meets me under the Luther statue. And I go, well, there's no way I'm going to be here. I'm pretty sure I'll be somewhere. I don't know where. Will you go with me? And she said, no. <laughs> she really did. Not till you have a ring on my finger. Am I going to plan on doing anything? So I got that done. <laughs> and Sarah, we went to Cancun. We had a great honeymoon. And guess what we did? When we got back, we come through customs in Houston, and I leave her. Because guess what? She had to get started on her job that she just got just like that. That's a whole other story, the Lord blessing us in ways that we had no plans. But I had to leave her because I had to fly back to St. Louis. She got to meet her teaching partner that she had never met before at the airport who gave her a ride to her house. And she stayed with this stranger for about a week until our apartment was ready and I got down there to move all our boxes out Saturday evening and on Sunday, we were announced as the new pastor at this church. Not this one. And another one. As an intern. Pastor intern. I want to make sure that's clear. I was the low man on the totem. The endings were several and quickly coming. But the beginnings and the blessings, we had no idea. But we believed two things. The Lord is with us. And the Lord will bless us. We experienced some things too just um, five years ago. It was some hard times in the Lytle household. My dad had open heart surgery. I was about to be fired from my job. 
or quit. I was thinking, I don't want to be a pastor anymore. And I wasn't thinking about being an FBI agent at that time. <laughs> I was like, I, I don't care what I do, but this is too much. There were endings that were approaching, and we had a choice at that moment to either go, the world is caving in, or the Lord is with us, and he will bless us. And again, I heard the Lord's voice, but it was in Guatemala this time. I had left my, I hadn't like literally left her, but I, well, I actually did literally leave her, but for a good thing, not for marriage issues, just FYI. I was on a mission trip. She couldn't go because I had left her with four children. Eight, six, three and one. It's amazing that she didn't leave me. <laughs> but I had left her in this whole mess that we were in. She didn't know if I'd have a job the next week. She didn't know what was going to happen. But I was on a mission trip to fulfill those duties. And we were also contemplating whether the Lord was saying, you need to go to New York or you need, you need to start a new church. And the New York church had just given her some notification during that week that they wanted to fly us to New York because they were pretty serious about having us go. And it was on that day that I heard the Lord say, no. You're going to do something that you don't know how to do. And you're going to start something new. We believe two things again. The Lord is with us and that he will bless us. Abram was doing something much bigger than anything that I've ever experienced. The whole nation of God was counting on him. The Lord said it would be through you, Abram, that the world will be blessed. Imagine that. It will be through you and your faithful decision to leave what is behind you and start something new that many will be blessed through you. So Abram departed. This is verses 4, 7, and 8. As the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. Then Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord, who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up a camp in the hill country with Beth Bethel to the west and I to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. We learn from the story that as a necessary ending happens, and a new beginning, a new blessing occurs. The important thing to do is to worship and acknowledge that it's from the Lord. And this is exactly what I hope we can do as a family next week. We're going to celebrate five years. I thought you were going to be the lone one.
I thought Jason was going to be the only one excited. Of course, when I said, hey, you're going to receive a call, he couldn't clap then, but that's all right. What we are going to do next week is we are going to gather together, and I'm going to encourage you that you be a blessing to someone and invite them to this. Invite them into a family that you know has been a blessing to you. I don't want to be presumptuous and think that all of you have been blessed, but I think you have been. So share that with someone and say, come into a place where I've received some hope and some blessing. Yeah, they're all kind of weird. Yeah, sometimes I get mad at them. But I think we love each other. Invite someone into that so they can experience some hope. Remember, we're in a city where people move almost every day into the city from somewhere else. This is a city full of people who are lonely, who do not have connections, who do not get to leave worship on a Sunday morning and go, which family's house should I go to? They often end up going back to their apartment by themselves. Or they find a new connection of a bunch of individuals who they can either drink with or party with or have a life that is oftentimes separate from the Lord. But the Lord is calling us for something different. He's saying, reach out to that person. I don't care if you are 70 and your neighbor is 23. I've seen some beautiful things happen in missional communities when we have someone who's more mature interact with someone who is learning to be mature. It's the way God intended it. It's why he put families together. And if you have a house and you're willing to open it up to somebody, you're doing exactly what the Lord is asking. If you know someone who has a house who's willing to open it up to someone, you're not ready, then use their house. I do that all the time. Just go to them and say, hey, can I invite this person over? And sometimes they'll look at you and go, what am I going to say? Sure. I pray that many who will come next Sunday, whether they, if they have a church home, awesome, awesome. But I want you to be inviting some people who are not connected to a, a family of God. A family of Jesus. Of the one who died and rose again for us. So that we could believe that God is surely with me. And that God will surely bless me. That the same power that rose him from the dead is with me. Simply because he calls me a son or daughter of God. Now that is something the world cannot give. And I would really encourage you to take a risk this week with a relationship that you're not sure of, where they're at with Jesus, if they believe or not, and invite them to be a part of something. Tell them we're going to have chicken fried steak. <laughs> and if they don't like that, then say, and we'll do something. We won't really, but, you know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. 
Who doesn't like chicken fried steak? And if you don't like it, then bring some lunch and share it with somebody. But we're going to be here celebrating because this is what we learn from Abraham. He attributes it to God. And we hear this in Hebrews chapter 11. Who, just this is a side note. Last week or a few weeks ago, I talked about Priscilla and Aquila. Great couple of God opened up their homes, continued to leave things behind, start new things, trust and faith in the Lord. Some historians believe that Priscilla actually wrote Hebrews. And when you read through this, you can kind of see how that would be true. Remember, she was a Jew, along with Aquila, and Hebrews was written specifically so that Jews who were coming to Jesus would be encouraged in the faith. Let's hear what possibly Priscilla wrote. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand the entire universe was formed at God's command and that we now see and now and that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. It went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there's no way to count them. Praise be to Christ. He tells us, I am with you. And I will bless you. I pray that we would continue to have faith as necessary endings occur. They're going to occur. Some bad stuff is going to happen. It, whether it's a sickness, a loss of job, someone's just being nasty to you, a dumb decision on your part, or a good decision on your part that turns bad. Necessary endings will occur. I have a good um, childhood friend. They were neighbors. He just died yesterday. He was probably 50. He had cancer. I saw a note from his daughter on his Facebook page this morning giving thanks that she has faith that she'll see her dad again. Necessary endings will occur. It's what we do with them afterwards. 
Will we step into faith like Abraham? Will we step alongside Jesus who says, I am with you. I will always be with you. I will never forsake you, which means I will always bless you. Do we believe in him? Do we believe in Jesus? So may this time in our life be one that we do not fear the future, but we have a hope. That we look forward that each day, no matter what comes, can be a good day. That we can wake up tomorrow and go, how is the Lord going to end something so I can start something? Help me, Lord. This is my prayer with myself. Help me to be ready to let go of the things that I hold on to so I can grab on to the things you're giving me. And that can be anything, guys. Anything. But I believe that he is with us and he wants to bless us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a good, good father. Help us to say those things and believe them. Help us to think about those little sayings like, God is with you. And instead of passing it off, it's just another trite little saying, that we go deeper into it. And really think about and pray about, what does that mean that you're with us? What does it mean for you to know us? What does it mean for you to call us your children? What does it mean for you to freely give us grace each day? To give your mercies, knowing we're going to sin. What does it mean to be this gracious God who relentlessly pursues us? Lord, we do not deserve to be in this life with you. But I am so thankful that you're in this life with us. I pray that as we face challenges this week, whether it's with our family, our relationships, our jobs, whether it's worrying about our future, that you would just pause us for a moment and remind us that you are with us and that you want want to bless us. Open our hands, Lord, so we can freely give. Open our hands, Lord, so we can freely receive. Help us to turn over the control that we falsely assume that we have. And instead, live in the freedom of following you. Because you lead us to good places. Good, good places. Give us your peace, Lord. Settle our hearts and lift us up with joy, wisdom, discernment, and understanding for all those around us so that they too can see and receive the blessing of being in your family. It's in your name, Jesus 
one who saved us, who rose again after dying on the cross, assuring us that we'd have life forever for all those who believe and are baptized in your name. Amen.